Welcome everyone to the Hope Story Circle held by the Peace Alliance and welcome to Peace On, your source for inspiring conversations and information from thought leaders across the spectrum on topics related to the strategies of building peace, fostering nonviolence, and creating a world that thrives, shifting our understanding toward empathy, compassion, and connection. And we welcome to the Hope Story Circle. My name is Terry Mason. I'm on the board of the Peace Alliance. And I'm joined by Yelena Popovich, who is our Teaching Peace in Schools lead to co-facilitate today. Liz Gannon Graydon is usually with us, but she is at a film festival because her son is on a panel there today. So we're all very excited for Liz and her family, um, but she's not with us today. Our special guest today is Paul Chapikian. Paul holds a very special place in my heart. Paul is my husband. <laughs> of 23 years. So, but he's also a longtime supporter of the Peace Alliance and he has a very interesting life with many stories to tell, but he's gonna tell a, an interesting story today. Paul, if you could unmute yourself and say good hello to people. Okay, I think I'm unmuted. So That's hi everybody, right. thank, thank you for having me. Welcome, welcome. I, 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 we're gonna get started in just a minute with the meditation led by Yelena, but. Before we do, your current occupation is as an actor. Is that true? <laughs> it is. But you just got back to it a few years ago. You were acting many, many years ago, and then you started back. Yeah, when I first moved here in 1980 to Los Angeles, uh, I wanted to be a filmmaker. And I was pursuing any avenue available to me and ended up doing improv comedy because I thought it would be a foot in the door, and, and it was. But somehow uh, for 30 some odd years, I ended up behind the camera and not acting. So, uh, and then just recently, I, Terry and I had a discussion and I went <laughs> back to pursuing acting. It was, it was a good move. You've been having fun with it. Yeah. All right, well, let's um, get into what we're doing here today and start Yelena with a meditation so you can bring everyone in the room together. Wonderful, thank you, Terry. Welcome, Paul. Welcome, everyone. So glad you're all here. And if you're listening to the podcast, welcome too, no matter when and where are you listening from. Um, I just want to welcome us into just kind of tuning in, checking in with our own self for a moment. Um, whatever, however you can do that, you're welcome to close your eyes, go on or off camera, um, just finding a way to just take a moment to pause, to Check in with your body. If you're seated, perhaps just checking in earth, the ground you're standing, sitting on. Checking in with the space around you. above you. And just for a moment, perhaps noticing 
their breath. Noticing where you feel your breath the most at this moment. Maybe it's at the nostrils. Or perhaps it's in your chest. Maybe it's in your belly, it's in just a gentle rocking that inhaling and exhaling. Taking a moment to share breaths together. It's an act of solidarity. No matter where we are in the world. Just knowing that at this moment, we are here together. Feeling the aliveness of our breath. Just notice how does that feel? There's no any particular way you need to feel right now. Just notice how does that feel in your body at this time? Ultimate gentleness and kindness.
perhaps just taking in your soothing breaths, whatever that means to you. When you're ready, allowing your eyes to open if they were closed, allowing smile, and with that, welcoming Paul to share his story. Thank you, Paul, for being here sharing with us. It's my privilege. Um, should I start here? Um, thank you everyone for having me, number one. Uh, it's very generous. My name is Paul Chapikian. And for those who didn't hear it earlier, I'm lucky enough to be married to one of the people in the boxes, Terry Mason. Um, and she asked me to do this and she asked me a few times. And, you know, I think, Maybe like everyone, you know, you're a little nervous, etc. But we finally agreed. Um, and I'm going to share with you, I, I do feel I have several stories that apply, but I decided to choose one in particular. Um, and I'm a Greek-Armenian immigrant. I'm born in Saudi Arabia. I've lived in Egypt, Cairo, Egypt. I've lived in Beirut, Lebanon. Um, but I grew up in New Jersey. I'm a Jersey boy. I was eight years old when we moved there. Uh, my mom, my dad, my brother and I. Um, my father had a very difficult time adjusting to the culture, the American culture. The Middle East is just slightly different. Um, and the story takes place um, on, a, on a cold winter night. I was... Uh, about 10 years old, 1965. And we lived in a city called Patterson, New Jersey. And if you know anything about Patterson, it, it's a rough part of town. Um, and a transition was beginning to happen there. Um, snowy, and, and having been born in Saudi Arabia, I really wasn't familiar with snow. Um, and this was a, a, a decent storm. And I don't know where my brother was this particular evening. He may have been with other family members or friends, but he was not in the house. And it's funny when you remember things from your childhood, sometimes as we get older, you're struggling to remember what was reality, what was maybe your mind playing tricks, et cetera. So I recall this event to the best of my recollection. Um, my mom and dad were having a difficult night, to say the least. Um, and the reason I want to tell this story is about how one incident stays with you for the rest of your life, because this incident has stayed with me. Um, my mom and dad were having some issues, and my father was getting loud uh, and physically not aggressive, but he was scaring me. 10-year-old boy. Uh, 
and he'd never struck my mom or anything like that. They'd had fights, but this particular evening, it was getting unfamiliar to me. And I don't know why or how uh, I did this, but, um, and this is before we had 911, you couldn't call 911, you'd call the operator. And I called the operator and I asked for the police. And I was, I don't know why, but I knew my address. And it's, it's probably because I was really working hard to learn the language. Um, I spoke five languages at the time. English was not one of them, so I was learning. So I'd been two years into the process. And I decided to call the police because my father was scaring me. I think he did grab my mom by the wrist once and they were tussling, but nothing on it, but it just scared me. So as frightened as, as I was, I did this. And the Patterson Police Department showed up one car. To the best of my recollection, it was two officers. And I, I saw them pull up outside. We lived on the second floor. I was looking out the window. It was snowing, very quiet. Uh, and I see these two guys get out and, you know, they put their, in those days they wore caps. And I, you know, it's weird because I, I see them grab their nightstick out of the door, slide it into the belt. And there was the knock and they came in. And before you know it, everything had calmed down. These two young men, and you know, in hindsight, I think, oh, they were older guys. They were probably in their 20s, I would imagine. They're new rookie police officers. But all of a sudden, they made everything better. It was amazing. They took my mom. One officer went with my mom. One officer went with my dad. They separated them. They talked and everything calmed down. The energy in the room shifted. Um, and then one or both of them came over to, to check on me. And I remember, you know, they, they did that thing you do with little kids where you scuff with their hair. And, and I was looking up at them like they were gods. You know, they just... They just made everything better. They brought peace to the situation. And that left a stamp on me for the rest of my life. I wanted to do that. I wanted to show up and try to help make things better. That's a simplistic response, but that's what it was. I wanted to wear that uniform, drive that car, show up, talk to people, they, uh, they never raised their voice. They just took care of the situation. And then they said their goodbyes and they came over one last time and I watched them walk down the door. And then I ran to the window, like little boys, I ran to the window and I watched them walk out and it was snowing. And, and I remember, you know, they opened their doors and I, could, I almost felt the heat from the car because they had left the engine running. Um, and they, you know, they took their nightsticks out and slid it into the door, took their hats off and got in the car and, you know, made a U-turn and the car skidded a little bit, you know, in the snow. Uh, and the lights were still on, the flashing lights were lighting up the snowflakes and, um, and they disappeared. 
And that was it. I was gonna do that with my life. Um, and so cut to the rest of my life. Um, I almost, I, I was asking questions and researching being a police officer. And I recall as I got older, I, I recall something about in Patterson, uh, if you became a police officer, they would pay partially for law school. And the man in my life after my father, my mother knew someone who was a criminal defense attorney who eventually became a superior court judge. He was, after my father left, I was 10 years old when my father left. He just left. Um, and this man became my role model. He was the closest thing I had to a role model a male role model in my life. And he was a, a lawyer and he taught me so much because I would challenge him because he was a defense attorney, a criminal defense attorney. And I'd be like, well, how, how can you defend him? He did this. And he'd say, so you don't think he's entitled to a defense? And he made me think a lot about these things. As time went on, um, he found out that I wanted to be a police officer. Uh, they went there, my mom and him, after about 10 years, went their separate ways. Um, and I, I guess I have to share that he was married with a family and having an affair for 10 years. So my role model was sending me mixed messages. I, I really wasn't quite sure because I respected him so much. But um, when his name was Bruno, and I used to call him Mr. Bruno because I was always very respectful, but he called me in one day and he said, I hear you want to be a, a, a cop in Patterson. And I said, yes. And we sat down and very quickly, he basically made me promise him that I would never join the Patterson Police Department. Uh, and what he said to me was, I know who you are morally. I know who you are ethically. You will not survive on the Patterson Police Department. They were infamous for their corruption. Um, maybe not so much the brutality, but definitely corruption. Um, so I made, I made a promise to him and I, and I never joined uh, Patterson Police, but I came to Los Angeles to be a filmmaker, et cetera, but opportunities kept presenting themselves. And I actually went out for Burbank Police Department, Los Angeles, LAPD, et cetera. But every time I would get close, something in my life on the creative side would draw me away. So I was trying to pay attention and saying, what is the universe trying to tell me? Um, and though I never joined law enforcement because something always drew me away, I was very involved in it. I, did photography with first responders. I wrote about it. It was important to me. Um, and eventually one day, um, as I was pursuing these other endeavors, Terry showed me an email and it was from the Los Angeles city government and they were looking uh, to start a Los Angeles crisis response team, CRT. And and she was right. She said, this sounds like it's just up your alley. And I went and I got interviewed and I got accepted for a 12-week program. So I became a member of the crisis response team. And we worked 
with LAPD closely and we worked with LAFD, fire department, and we were um, basically called out. We'd show it's 24 seven, it's a volunteer position. At that time, there was 50 of us. I think now there's about four or 500 uh, volunteers. And we would show up 24 seven at the scene of accidents, shootings, homicides, suicides. We did, we helped LAPD with death notifications. And we were there for anyone who was involved. You didn't have to be a victim. You could have been a neighbor who saw something. Um, and we weren't long-term. We were there for the immediate response in the moment. And then we would give them tools and contacts for long-term care. And, and this really, I mean, it was like, for me, it was like a duck taking to water. It made sense. I had also, I should say, when I was younger, I worked in emergency rooms, uh, working security. I worked as an orderly, considered being a paramedic. So I was always around this first responder thing. Uh, I'm good under stress. I can stay calm. Uh, most of us who do this, you know, you, you deal with it after the fact. It's not that it doesn't affect you, it affects you, but you wait till it's done and then you debrief, et cetera. So it's not that you don't feel anything because if you don't feel anything, you shouldn't be doing it. It's inhuman. So um, I, I did that for about five years with crisis response. And then I realized that I needed to take a break for personal reasons. It, it does take a toll on you. Um, and we're doing the long-term thing. So LAPD may show up to do a death notification. They have to do the death notification. We go with them. They introduce us. They leave because they've got 12 other calls backed up. But we can stay with the family or the neighbors, whomever, uh, as long as required. And I think that takes a different toll on you than it does with the officers who show up and they leave. So I decided to take some time. Um, and so I realized, you know, we all have gifts and one of my gifts was that, but the other one is that, and Terry will tell you, um, I have an uncanny ability to be, I like to think in the right place at the right time. And a lot of people think it's the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, but as an example, if I could share this, Terry, I've given the Heimlich maneuver twice in my life. One was to Terry. We were at a movie theater and she started choking. Um, we weren't married at the time, but I kid you not, I had the engagement ring in my pocket. And I was like, no, <laughs> you're not leaving today because I have to ask you to marry me. And it all worked out fine. And then a very short time later, we were at the Hollywood Bowl and the woman behind me started choking. Same thing. Um, there are, I decided one day to sit down and make a list. There's over 65, 70 incidents of me um, being involved in situations. So to me, it was the universe saying, this is, you're good at this. So we're gonna give you some opportunities. Um, so it's, it's been a gift. I, I thought when I didn't become a police officer, that was it. 
but apparently it's not. Um, there's something I have to keep doing and that's what it is. So it's been a really interesting journey. Um, and I'll never forget that evening where those two young men changed the course of my life. Uh, and I often wonder where they are, how they are, that they, are they retired? I assume they are. Uh, I hope they're safe. Um, and by the way, in closing, let me just say, my experience as a little uh, child who is not of color um, was very different maybe than other people. Now we're going through a lot of things with law enforcement in this day and age, rightfully so. There needs to be changes. Uh, sadly, I don't know if a little boy in my situation today would feel the same when law enforcement showed up. And that's a shame because I know a lot of police officers and most of them wanna do the right thing. And we do it because we wanna help people. It's as simple as that. We wanna help people. We wanna make the world a better place. We need to all think about what's the best way to do that. How do we give them the help that they need? How do we spend the money wisely? Uh, so, you know, maybe it wasn't meant for me in this life. Maybe in a previous life, I was law enforcement. Maybe in the, another life, I will be. Um, but I'm really grateful for what I've been given. And, and I count my blessings every day for, for lots of things, including being married to someone who's just amazing spirit. And to all of you for all you do with the Peace Alliance. Uh, I'm very grateful for that because we need it. So I, I guess that's about it. Um, yeah. So thank you. Thank you for, for hearing me out. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Excuse me, Paul. Yes. Um, may I ask you a question, please? Of course. Uh, if you had the opportunity to be Secretary General of the UN, <laughs> what would be your number one priority? I, you know, I, in all sincerity, I wouldn't know how to answer that. I, I don't. It's not something I've thought out of. Um, I'd have to think about what that position entails. Um, I do know this is my own personal belief sort of relating to that, but just on a personal level, if it would bring peace to the world, I would denounce my heritage, my nationality. I would denounce everything if it would bring peace to the world. I'm a, I'm a member of the human race and I happen to live on the planet earth. That's as simple as that for me. And mind you, I've lived in Cairo, Beirut, you know, I've lived all over. I, I've spoken languages. I've met all these different people. I didn't see the difference. I didn't learn about the other aspects of this until people taught it to me, until I heard people say, oh, you know, Black people are this, Jewish people are that, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, I would mount it and I'd be like, we're all members of the human race, one family, one planet, right. to the best of our you know, to, to what we know right now. I have no idea what's out there. I know there's other things out there. So I, I would spread that message. 
You know, I think it's okay to hold on to your heritage and nationality, but it's no better than anyone else's. It's right. just yours. Right. I hope that sort of answers your question. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thanks. So we're gonna move on to the breakout rooms and the inquiry that we're going to send you with is you know, to think that as a society, so many of us come to this as peace builders and we want every child to feel safe when there's a crisis. So what can we do if, if all we want for everyone, but especially children, when people are frightened, how do we help them feel safe again? And also the difference between individuals and institutions. It's often very hard to survive the institutions. And there's a difference when your job can cost you your life or the life of others. There's a difference in how you might behave. So think about how can we help people feel safe again? And what is and what have each of you know what have you done in the breakout thing? Think about what have you done? Because everyone here, I have confidence, everyone here has done something at some point to help a child. And what are you to do that? So I'm going to pause the recording. And when we come back from the breakouts, we'll share again. Well, welcome back, everyone. It's nice to see you. So we had a conversation in our room. I'm interested to hear what people had to share. Anyone like to share just what's alive for you right now? You can unmute yourself and share. Susan? Hello, everybody. Hello. Much peace and many blessings. And we had such a great uh, breakout group. I was hoping we would have a little more time, like sometimes we always do. Mm -hmm. um, and we were like, what was our topic? What was our prompt? And we started <laughs> talking about different things. And, and uh, I think it was Ruben had the most beautiful um, picture of an earth mother earth with with all of these youth children's hands holding mother earth up and and then our groups were changing and we were talking about literally holding up mother earth as mm -hmm. as humans and then we we um ruben has this incredible background when he doesn't have his earthly his earth being held up <clears throat> thank you ruben he has all these incredible musicians behind him um posters and pictures and really cool instruments and then we started talking about how music Music is a universal community builder connector. Mm. And no matter what your language, your background, your level of trauma, your, your experiences, joyful and, and sorrowful and everything in between that life invites us to fully engage with. And we realize that instruments of peace, that we are all instruments of peace, even if we don't play an instrument, mm. every human being has the beautiful instrument of our voices to share peace, to create peace, to build peace. Mm -hmm. And that if we could empower every child, particularly and families and caretakers to believe that they are an instrument of peace mm -hmm. through their voice, through their, and then we said, why can't we get every child in this country an instrument? Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's harmonica, 
whether it's a flute, everybody at some point in their life usually has an inkling or a desire to become more creative mm. and our creative side, um, you know, needs to be nourished and, and, um, and cared for. And, and uh, we just thought that was really cool that we were thinking about how reading, writing and arithmetic that conflict transformation mm. and mm. civics education include, you know, this empowerment that we are all instruments of peace building and that how we can utilize big organizations like Department of Education, National mm. Education Association, music educators, and go to the people that have the greatest influence on our youth and our communities to empower everyone to believe and know that their voice is an instrument of peace. So mm. Beautiful, Susan, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> and Marquita had some really great um, ways that we could actually like pull it, you know, pull this together. And we're also been talking about in another group, the ABCs of peace, you know, mm. and, and kind of connecting with how we can uh, communicate, uh, connect and communicate um, on a larger scale with, with kids. Mm. Excuse me, Susan. Yes. Are you a teacher? I am. Oh, really? What do you teach? I'm a, I am actually a, I'm a special educator, so I'm a, a Jill of many trades. I, I basically am able to teach many different things, K through 12. I'm certified in special education with an emphasis on social, emotional, behavioral, uh, student clientele. I currently work in uh, a jail. So I go in as a public school teacher to provide whatever courses that a, an incarcerated student with an IEP um, may need to earn their degree. Um, I also serve any other student. We as a learning center within the jail um, serve any students who want to complete their high school diploma. And then we partner with our community college and they pick up them uh, from that point to take courses and or if they're older than 18 or 21 to do the GED. So that's wonderful, um, Susan. Yeah, Susan, I just want to add before we pass it to other folks, um, given the, the way our conversation was going is... Um, so I have done a lot of teaching of folks who are interested in law enforcement or actively engaged in law enforcement. I could see some overlap there between folks who are already incarcerated and people who might be responsible for their incarceration, especially given the beautiful story we heard today uh, about how law enforcement can be, could be uh, actually inspiring. So mm. I'll plant that seed and we can talk about it later. Thank you, Marquita, I love that. Anyone else any, like to share? Excuse me. Has anybody here ever heard of the peace rooms concept in the high schools? Yes. Would you like to share about it, Alana? All right. Thank you. Uh, currently, I am working on my uh, PhD in public policy and administration. And my dissertation is on restorative practices versus zero tolerance policies in the school system and how uh, restorative practices can change the lives of students from entering the criminal justice system. Mm. And the peace room concept that I'd like to initiate into the high schools is currently there are peace rooms around the country that are more 
educational and emotional and social learning standards are being taught in these peace rooms. Hmm. And these students that are sent to these peace rooms from the classrooms are learning all these different types of ways to manage their emotions so that when they go back to the classroom, they are equipped with these tools on how to manage themselves. But the peace, the peace rooms that I would like to initiate, I, I don't know, many policymakers and politicians might not like this idea, I don't know, <laughs> but that's a, it's a challenge that I might have to face someday is to try to convince them that the peace room can also be a place where these students can go instead of receiving detention, suspension, or expulsion. Mm-hmm. And they would be receiving a curriculum-based uh, education to learn different types of skills, life skills, that they need in order to become more successful in life outside the education system. Mm. And it would be a great benefit to communities because eventually these students will learn these types of skills and it will try to uh, decrease the statistics of the students that are entering the student to prison pipeline as it's Mm -hmm. called. Mm-hmm. And many of you might have uh, heard about that in the media. Mm-hmm. And those of you that do a lot of research. So that's my work that I'm doing now. So that's terrific, Alana. Thank you so much for sharing that. You're welcome. Wonderful. We have time for one more share before we're going to close the call. Would anybody like to share something from the breakout room? Anyone? Joan, I see you moving your mouth, but you're on mute. Can you come off mute? You see that? Let's try that. There you okay. are. Okay. Right. Um, it was interesting listening to Terry. He's, um, I think he said he's 98 now. Did I get that right, Terry? Um, and for many years uh, during the Cold War, he was a part of peace alliance groups, which I've never been a part of. And I didn't think to share at that time, but uh, this this discussion reminds me of what I've been volunteering to do, not at the moment, but I don't have a case, but I'm a part of a COSA team, which is um, a support and accountability group uh, of volunteers that work with uh, uh, people coming out of prison. Mm. It's a part of a restorative justice in Vermont. Mm. And um, so I've had two two times around and and a third one didn't work because he went back to prison for some reason and um so won't be back out yet but uh, i'm retired i'm a retired teacher from preschool and high school Mm -hmm. and i miss uh working with kids a lot but um a lot of the young people that are in prison are are young to me because i'm old now (laughs) but restorative justice is definitely uh 
uh, something that I think is very worthwhile. Yeah, it's a powerful, powerful way of creating justice. All right, well, we're going to close right now. I'm going to put some links in the chat. Um, I'm really grateful for all of you being here today. A wonderful, rich discussion. Thank you. The Peace Alliance is your host for the Hope Story Circles, and the Peace Alliance empowers civic action for a culture of peace. The website is there. The podcasts of these calls and our other calls are at our Peace on Podcast. The link is there. It's also a link about the Hope Story Circles. If you're a newcomer, you can see what, what we're doing here. The Blueprint for, Ple for Peace is a major initiative that we've had going for a while. You're, I invite you to sign it. Um, essentially, it will send a message to all of your state and federal elected officials, letting them know that you support policy priorities related to peace building and violence reduction. And also, there's a link about the Department of Peacebuilding Legislation, which is our major piece of legislation we've supported for 20 years now. Um, we also are a small nonprofit. We appreciate donations of any size, especially monthly donors. Um, that's our sustainable income. So there's a link to donate and also the calendar of events. You can see when our next Hope Story Circle is and other things that we have going. We have these Hope Story Circles on the second and fourth Saturday of every month at this time. So we'd love to have you join us again. And right now I'm gonna hand it back to Yelena to close us today with gratitude to all of you for, you for being here and gratitude to Paul for sharing your story. Thank you all. I'm noticing that I'm missing Liz in this moment. I know, me too. Uh, as Liz is always has words of wisdom to close us and put it in a bow, as Terry says. And um, I hope I do a justice um, to Liz closing. But I just want to say one of the things that really struck me, Paul, about your story is the peace that I heard in that moment when, you know, those police officers came and the way you described that scene, there was a profound, profound feeling of peace for me. And one thing that particularly struck me is the way you described how these young men actually were. Um, they were, their nervous system was the intervention. The way they, their presence was the intervention. And when Susan talked about the instrument of peace, the instrument in peace for them was their presence. And I think what we are all, we all can be instruments of that, our presence, mm -hmm. our, the way that we are, the way our nervous system is in those moments of crisis is the instrument of peace. And I think we can share with our children that they have with them the same thing. The instrument of peace is their breath, right? Is the breath that they can access in that moment. And I just want to close with, you know, just a simple thing you can share with any child in your life. You can ask a child to give you five and just, and if you want to do it with me, just guide a child to say, okay, let's inhale. 
And exhale. Holding up your hand, tracing along your fingers. Inhale. And exhale. And tracing. Inhale. And exhale. Inhale. And exhale. We could could use this in the peace rooms. (laughs) Inhale. And exhale. Yes. We could use this in the peace rooms. Beautiful. And yeah, with that, I I leave you and just practicing this with any child in your life. Great Um, strategy. Yeah. All right, everyone, feel free to unmute yourself and say goodbye. Thank you, Yelena. Thank you, Paul. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for the work you all do. Feel free to unmute yourself to say goodbye, everyone. Yes, thank you thank for you all the work all. everyone does on this planet. Thank you. Bye bye. Meeting you, Paul. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Pleasure. Bye. 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 Thank you for joining us today at Peace On. We hope that it inspires you to engage in dialogue in your larger community. Peace On is brought to you by the Peace Alliance, found at peacealliance.org.